Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 46, week 46, volume 46, number 46. How you going, guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. So this week, our Mosh interview is with Davey of Vanna Trove, and he's also got some solo music out there on the World Wide Web. Davey is the kind of man that I wanted to get on this show from the offset. He's very open, very honest, and very passionate about himself, his life, his journey, and his music. It's a very engaging conversation, very intriguing life that he has led. And I've got to say thank you, Davey, for taking time out for the Mosh Zone. And also thank you for being so open and honest and revealing with your past and your history and what's going on now with you as well. Thank you again, dude. Much respect, much love, much appreciated that you were able to give time up for me and the Mosh Zone. That chat with Davey is coming up now. So I always start off with kind of now, I know music for you has gone through a lot of phases, but do you remember the artist or the band that kind of helped you discover music as a thing? Now, it doesn't have to be a heavy band, but was there an artist that first piqued your ears to something? Um, You know, growing up with my mom, um, you know, always listening to vinyls in the house and stuff. I got to listen to a lot of classic rock um, and a lot of stuff that, you know, most parents most parents listen to. Um, and one artist um, uh, by the name of Paul Simon really is uh, someone who like, you know, in an early age struck a chord that I really loved music, um, which is funny because when people say, what's your favorite artist or band of all time? And I say Paul Simon, most kids that ask me that are like, who? I'm like, your dad probably listens to him. Um, but uh, so I think that's where I, the where like a love for music and you know dancing around my house with my mom came from uh later on years for me i you know i grew up oh, 90s kid so um i grew up in uh i grew up in a time of like grunge um and uh right on the cusp of like punk rock coming to the forefront um a little bit more of grunge so like you know bands bands that took it one step further like you know bands like green day bands like pennywise uh, bands like goldfinger um, basically the whole Tony Hawk pro skater soundtrack, uh, that's, those are, those are like, that's a time in my life. I remember it's about 13 years old, 14 years old. Um, and those are the, those are the, uh, bands that I remember being like, Oh, I want to do this. Um, you know, going to my first warp tour when I was 13 and just kind of seeing, um, you know, seeing every, I got to see green day play. They played like a really tiny stage. It was kind of like hilarious thinking about it now. Um, but that was like the day that I was like, this is what I want to do. Um, so I think that, you know, for me, it was like started with like, you know, classic rock my mom listened to. And then eventually once I was, you know, into grunge, I started playing music, started playing drums and it was like, oh, I can actually play this stuff. This is the stuff that I want to play. And then eventually, um, you know, kind of pressing, progressing from there and trying to play in like, I think in high school I played in like four or That was right. I said, oh no. I said, oh no, he left. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I played in like a bunch of different bands in high school. And um, yeah, I think I think the cusp of, um, you know, grunge into punk rock is sort of where I was, I found my identity. Um, 
which was uh, which was fortunate for me to grow up in the time that I did. I'm 34 years old, so um, that movie that just came out mid 90s that um, mm. uh, Jonah Jonah Hill did it literally like captured the time period uh, perfectly because like then I also like had a bunch of friends that listened to hip hop like that were skaters that you know kind of influenced that stuff and eventually like that led to like stuff like Link Lincoln Park and all that the whole world so. Um, it's hard to define it down to one artist. I guess Paul Simon started it for me when I was like real young, but it's hard to define down to one artist because I was just like hungry. If I saw somebody in a band t-shirt I thought looked cool, I would go to Newberry Comics and get that CD without even knowing what the band sounded like. I just did it. And, um, you know, we all did that. That's exactly what we had to do then. Um, so it forced you to get into things. It forced you to be like, oh, this isn't really my cup of tea normally. But then you listen to it more and you're like, actually, I love this a lot, you know? Um, bands like, like Primus. I didn't know what it was. I bought the record and then I listened to it and I was like, oh, this is weird. But like, I ended up loving it. So I have like a love for Primus, which led to like 311 and like, you know, Incubus and stuff like that. So one thing has always led to another for me. So music, as you said, was in the household. So when you started discovering this, you know, punk alternative music, you obviously were playing it a lot at home. What was the reaction from, you know, the family that suddenly you're this alternative satanic listening music kid right yeah my mom i grew up in a pretty uh i grew up in a pretty uh god-based house uh, um faith-based house um and my mom never hated the music because of if it was loud or yelling you know there's definitely she definitely was like i can't understand what they're saying for my mother it was all about what the lyrical content of what i was ingesting was um and there was definitely some there was definitely a lot of points where she was wrong on a lot of things. And I'm like, they're using metaphors. It's a metaphor for something else and whatever else. So it's constant battle. So at a young age, I kind of realized that was going to be happening with my mom. So um, I started paying my friends and I would buy the CD. Well, I'd buy the CD and I'd give it to my friend. And then they would burn a copy of the CD for me. And then I could write a different band that my mother approved of on it. And then I would listen to it in my headphones so she wouldn't know like what was going on. Um, and I used to listen to like my, I started with my Walkman, listen to my Walkman in bed, which for all of you 20 um, year olds out there, a Walkman is a uh, iPod <laughs> with a tape inside of it. Um, started there and then it progressed to my CD. And then I think eventually my mother knew that she had an okay son with a decent head on his shoulders and music was really all I cared about. So there was going to be no stopping me. Um, and like, she was cool with like Metallica and like Pantera and like, you know, anything that was on the radio, my mother was like pretty okay with. Um, I don't know why she hated Nirvana a lot. She really hated Nirvana. I don't know why it wasn't the music. I think it was just lyrics and the metaphors and whatever. But so like mostly most of my burnt CDs or tapes were like Nirvana tapes and stuff like that. <laughs> um, the in utero album cover didn't help my mother's hatred for no. Nirvana either, which like, thanks guys for that. Um, but I guess that's what that music is all about is pissing off your parents and realizing stuff about yourself. And it's like a coming of age. Um, so yeah, there was definitely ways around it. The cool thing is, my i started taking drum lessons when i was 13 um and that dude ended up marrying my mom so wow. we, he was my stepfather um and he was like the coolest guy i knew um his name was bob and he was just like he knew everybody in the music scene um he'd be on he's been on tour before like he was like all the things i wanted to be so um we actually were like a pretty rocking household um it, it come to find out so i always blame this on my parents this is both of their faults so um <laughs> But yeah, they they were pretty cool with it. It took my mom a little while, um, and then and then with the influx of 
turning 18 and then wanting tattoos. That's a whole, that's a whole nother argument and story and everything else. But uh, she was cool with the music. So you were saying there that in school, you know, you started playing in bands and you started playing drums. Now, first off, why drums? I mean, you did pick the most obnoxious, loud instrument possible. Yeah, it's cheapest. I think it was the cheapest. My mother, I want to play guitar and sing in a band. That's what I've always wanted to do. Um, And I think my mother's options were small and limited about, you know, who and what could help and facilitate her son. And she, Bob was a really good friend and he had a bunch of drum sets. He ended up building my first drum set for me for free. He gave me lessons for free. I mean, they weren't free. He married my mom. So it was a trade, you know what I mean? Um, But uh, I think it was, I think it was just out of the fact of what we could afford. Like I approached my mom and said, I want to sing and play guitar in a band. And what I got was getting drum lessons for two years, which is really, really cool. And I'm glad in my, um, you know, career as a vocalist being a rhythm section first and foremost has helped me with lyrics and timing and singing and everything else so well. So I don't struggle with that kind of stuff. Like I know some of my friends might, um, you know, my, struggle is i'm 34 and i'm learning how to play guitar this year so like you know what i mean that that's my struggle um i never you know i i um drums and vocals were it for me for a really really long time um so uh yeah that's how that kind of happened i I, you know and then i would play drums for everything and in high school i was in i sang in a couple bands as well uh anything i could really do um to be able to like play with other people but yeah if you needed a drummer i was your guy now high school i think you know everyone finds a bit interesting when they are into alternative music some people are isolated it's also a process of identifying and learning who you are um were you identifying yourself as an alternative kid during that whole high school period i mean i've been i've been you know, identify myself as an alternative kid in a lot of ways since I was, you know, before even middle school, uh, being adopted, uh, being single parent home, um, being like one of the only kids in your town that's poor. I don't know how we lived in my town. My mom, I mean, I do. My mom grew up in that town and then she literally moved to the house next door to where she grew up because she knew the family that owned it and we got a good deal with rent. And, you know, I was, Melrose Mass is a very like classy, nice town and I lived in an apartment and, you know, I was different than a lot of my friends. So right away, I kind of like already was the alternative kid, no matter what. Um, I was the only one that went to like youth group and church on all my friends for a while too. Um, and then I think in high school, when I got there, finally, um, you know, I kind of established myself in middle school as like the funny guy. I stayed back in seventh grade and, um, because I was so much younger than everybody in my class. My day was like, my birthday is like the day of the cutoff day over here. And, um, so I stayed back in seventh grade. So here you go on top of like all of that. Now I'm stayed back. I'm the new kid. So I just used humor and, you know, became like kind of the class clown in high school. Um, and so by the time I got to high school, like I had a little unit of friends that were skateboarders and musicians. And, um, you know, we were kind of like my friend group in high school were like, um, these like little ragtag misfits. Like some of us played sports, um, some of us skateboarded, but we definitely all listened to music. And that was like a really, really big um, factor that binded us all together. Um, so yeah, by the time I got to high school, I kind of just was that um, kid. I, I, I wore band tees, I wore jeans, I ordered out of skateboard magazines, I wore skate shoes, you know, like that. I mean, that was that was it. You know, I've, I'm pretty much, I think I look pretty much the same as I did in high school. I'm just probably skinnier <laughs> in high school and that's about it. But uh, I mean, I, I kind of, um, luckily my town wasn't too... Um, 
you know, it wasn't like, oh my God, this, it wasn't like Footloose and I came mm. through and revolutionized the town and now everyone's punk rock. Everyone was just like, oh, Davey, he's crazy. He likes crazy music. And that's kind of like how all my, you know, I existed in high school with everybody, which is funny because the tour that I start this week, I'm playing near my hometown and all of my friends from high school, we've all been talking this week. So everyone's coming out to hang out at the show again. So it should be interesting. Literally just like high school. So, And, you know, you said in there that in high schools when you decided music's what you wanted to do. So you obviously became very focused on that goal in in your in your in your head and in your heart. Yes. That's what you wanted. Yeah. Um what was that like? I mean, because if a kid is in high school and says, I want to do music, I mean, a lot of people would be telling you, you're making a mistake, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, this totally. isn't a thing. So I mean, how did your family react? And then what was the reaction from your teachers and peers alike? Um, my, my, my parents knew at a, at a young age, like this is really all I wanted to do. Um, you know, uh, and I, unfortunately through being a class clown and being that guy all the way through high school, I didn't have the respect or appreciation of any teachers. Obviously like most of my jokes were at their expense. I was the kid that was like, you know, I wasn't like an awful kid. I wasn't violent. I wasn't angry. I just was like, I joked so much that I would push teachers to like limits and they'd get kicked out of class. So, um, I didn't really have a lot of teachers that cared or, you know, I, 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 the number one thing I heard from teachers was, you know, you're wasting your potential of what you are and being this, you know, jokey guy that's, you know, makes fun of the world. Um, I had a teacher, his name is Mr. Moss. Uh, he was my English teacher and he was like, he was the first guy to like match my, I don't know, match my sass back to me and uh, was also into like a lot of the same music I was. He was only like five years older than me. Um, so he's a brand new teacher and he just saw teaching from a different light. He cared more about me than what it said on like a piece of paper that I am. Um, and he, he's the one that actually kind of like helped me with this so i told him in high school that you know i don't want to do anything and i i never i never said the words i'm gonna drop out to him but i think he knew that i was just gonna ride out those d's and graduate with nothing and you know i think he saw it as an opportunity to be like okay you only like music okay cool so if you want to play music in the school and you want to like run these concerts that's like the vision i had i'd go to local shows and be like we could do this at our school um and he was the one that helped me and he challenged me with the, uh, if you want my help, you need to raise your grades. You need to start going to class and you need to like take some stuff seriously because no one's going to take you seriously at the school. Like it's okay that you don't love schoolwork, but like love something and be passionate about something and people will see that passion and they'll support you in it. But all you do is get kicked out of class and joke around and whatever. So like maybe try to flip that script. Um, with his help, I did. I raised a bunch of my grades. I was able to um, run some shows in my high school. And then I was more involved with like the talent show because they wanted my help with that. And then eventually yearbook. And then I started um, a, lac a lacrosse team at my school. And the guy, Mr. Moss, he became the coach. So this guy became like my guru. He was my music guy. He was my sports guy. He honestly told me like, you know, kind of taught me a correct way to respect women. And, 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 you know, he was kind of like my, before my mom uh, got remarried to my stepfather, he was kind of like the guy that was like guiding me through like being 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. 
um, which is so necessary at that time. And I'm really grateful I had somebody who decided to just step up to the plate, even though I was probably like, you know, uh, he always said he saw something inside of me that reminded, you know, of, of his attitude and how he was. Um, and he had somebody. And I think that when you have a mentor in your life, you want to be a mentor later on in your life. And he, it wasn't just to me, he was a mentor to a lot of people. It wasn't just like the special case movie scenario. He was like this for a lot of people. Um, and I'm really grateful. Cause like, I think, you know, I learned how to put on shows while I was in high school. I learned how to do production. I learned how to do all these things because Mr. Moss pushed me. My grades were higher. My parents were happier. I mean, this guy kind of like is responsible for a lot of uh, a lot of that. So I luckily had a cool high school that was able to stand behind it um, and, and get in front of something like that, which is cool. And I know it's rare and I know it doesn't happen all the time. Um, so luckily I was able to have that, though. So high school finishes, you're, you've been playing in some bands and... Um, I love Sorry, it. My tiny, nah. my tiny dog is going nuts. Stop. We've got we, we've got a tiny dog and he's got small dog syndrome too. So don't worry, he does. Yeah. Ours does the same. She's crazy. Yeah. She's crazy. Yeah. Um <laughs> so, you know, high school finishes, you're um you're now going into the outside world. Music is what you yeah. want to do. Now, some people may know, some people may not know, but there was a period there where you gave it a go and then you dropped it all. And thought, I'm not going to do this. Yeah, so right when I graduated high school, I was seeing a girl from another high school. And I left high school with the, like, Davey's going to play music. He's going to go to – I also got accepted to college, and I was going to go to school for um, music business. And I was going to minor in youth ministries for speaking and um, major in music business and get out and tour in the summer times and tour and I and I had all these plans and everyone was like, you know, all my friends, like, you know, I kind of had like a little, a small transformation in high school, you know, and everyone expected all these great things. And um, the summer after I graduated, um, I had unfortunately made the mistake of spending all of my money on my girlfriend. Um, and like over the course of the years, I was supposed to be saving my money. I spent thousands on her and going to see her and traveling and, you know, um, yeah, you know, young love and, um, some people, everyone, you know, has a different love language. Um, and hers was money and attention. Um, and I deferred my enrollment to school, which was the first like embarrassing thing I had to do. And, you know, I, to tell my parents that I got into college, but I can't go now because I didn't save my money. And they told me, and we talked about it. We had a plan and I blew it. Um, so I stayed home and, after that Christmas break, I got a phone call that was just basically from my ex-girlfriend's or from my girlfriend at the Times, um, best friend out at school, and basically just outlying that my girlfriend has been pregnant for nine months, and she is in the hospital delivering a child, and I have no knowledge of this. I have zero knowledge, um, and come to find out she had uh, been uh, covering up a pregnancy, taking prenatal vitamins without anyone knowing her family or anything like that. She'd been working out furiously. So she didn't gain any weight. I saw her at Christmas break and she literally didn't look any different. And she legitimately delivered a baby like nine days after I saw her. Um, and then there was this whole thing of like, okay, this is a joyous occasion. This is going to be great. Um, I always want to be a father. I've been with this girl for almost four years. We love each other. This is like how things go. It's okay. I'll just be one of those guys with a story of like, you're a young father. And um, 
you know, if anybody, anyone who knows me knows that when the pressure's on, that's when I perform the best. And, you know, we like remodeled the room in our house for, you know, the uh, crib and, you know, th- did the whole thing. I got a promotion at my job. I cut my hair cause it was long, you know, I, 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 I quit uh, playing in the band that I had joined after high school, which was starting to pick up. Um, I did the whole thing and then come to find out um, that she had had an ongoing relationship with somebody else and that's the person that got her pregnant and that's a whole other mess and they had to deal with all their things. But it left me, you know, a year out of high school, like with the like, I don't even know like what to do anymore because I, I took this job and I... I got a raise and I'm, and I'm, I'm doing these things. I don't want to be doing any of these things. I literally uh, applied to go to school to be a cop because like it pays well mm-hmm. and I'll have benefits and I'll take care of my kid and in no way, shape or form and no disrespect to police officers at all. I just did not want to be a police officer. Mm. Um, and, but I was like, you know, I'm going to do whatever I can. And this all came crashing down on me and I was just left at like, you're left at this like point where like you almost like your whole life just hit reset and you got paid. I got prepared and amped up and ready and spent all this money and did all those things. And all of a sudden it's all gone. And at that point it's like a lot of my friends saw it as like the get out of jail free card. The mm-hmm. like, Hey man, this isn't your responsibility. You can go on and do what you want to do and be who you want to be. Um, and the sad reality is I want to be a father and I kind of got, used to that idea while we were doing all this stuff and i when you when you you let go of certain things and certain things take over and you know when you ask any i don't know if you're a parent but all my friends who are parents are like when you have a kid your whole life changes well i thought that happened to me and then it got taken away so like my mental space as a a 19 20 year old person going through that it broke me um and you know, I, I moved out of my house and I wanted to be alone and all my friends that were, you know, saying, you know, all these, you know, you're going to be okay, blah, blah, blah. You know, my family said the same thing. At a certain point, you have that little voice inside your head that is like, these people are wrong. They don't know what they're mm-hmm. talking about. They don't know how bad this feels. I didn't, I remember I couldn't talk for like, I think it was maybe like a, a full day, um, the morning after we found out everything and I, I got the I got the letter in the mail saying the zero percent chance that I was a father. I didn't talk for like a full day. Um, I remember just being at my house and um, after that day I think I I became the angriest I've ever been in my life. And that anger and that sadness stayed for years. Um, and I remember sitting in my mom's in our basement in my parents' house in their jacuzzi and I remember like choosing hatred i like remember being like i hate women i hate human beings i hate my job i hate my family i hate everything about myself i need to just go do something else um i went and got a job that paid a lot of money that was not very like conducive to it was like overnight hours and it was just terrible and i started hanging out with a whole new group of people that were just bad for me um i kind of put behind a whole chapter of my life and you know I, I was reconnecting with my friends in high school today or the this week and apologizing to them because I just disappeared um and everyone was like no man you went and where you became a rock star but they're 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 not aware of those like four years mm. where I spent like in a very deep and very heavy depression they don't know about it and you know I feel like 
you know, I was talking to my friend Ryan and uh, he wishes that he knew about it. He wishes that we didn't lie. I didn't lie to them and, and wishes I kept up with them because he would have been there. But the reality is I would became the most miserable person in the world. I gave up everything. Um, and, uh, you know, music was in the rear view for me forever. Um, I, uh, never thought that I was going to do it ever again. Um, it's, it's, it's quite, um, like it's, yeah, I don't, I don't know what's the right word. Harrowing kind of, you know, the, the yeah. things that you go through, um, in those situations, some people won't understand, but some people might understand and the depression, the spiraling things that happen afterwards, um, Sometimes some people don't understand. Um, as someone like myself who's struggled chronically with that, um, I understand. And I also understand the whole excitement and putting your life in a new phase because you think it's the right thing to do because that's the yeah. responsibilities. Um, you know, I'm a stepdad now in the later half of my life. I'm the same age. I'm 35. Um, so you've gone through all of this darkness. Did you know, it's not a nice thing to say, but do you think, did you ever think you're not going to get out of this? Because four years yeah. in that state um, is nightmarish, um, even just yeah. to look back on it. And how did you start bringing yourself out of it? Because it's baby steps. Anyone that's been there knows it's baby steps of coming out of it. So how did you come yeah. out of it? Um, I, uh, you know, I struggled with it for a while. For a minute, I took a job teaching at a preschool um, because I was like, all right, I won't do music like full time. I'll teach, you know, I love kids. Um, you know, early childhood is something my mother always said I should go into. She ran a daycare growing up. I, I worked after school programs at the YMCA. I mean, I did it like youth are definitely like I was a youth worker. So, um, I took a job teaching. They promised they put me through college and my whole rationale was great. Like education job. Eventually I'll save money and pay off my debts and do my thing and maybe I'll be happy. And for a while it was really cool because I was a preschool teacher, you know, I had four year olds, like, you know, depending on you and I was Mr. Muse, but you know, when they go home and you see a family, you know, like reunite after a day of being a separate and you see that love. And for me to know that I blew it with my parents, I blew it with all of my friends. There's no hope for me with a female. I couldn't like, I'd go on dates and couldn't keep like, you know, whatever. Or I would date, like I was known in that time period for dating the most toxic women like ever. Like I would seek out the worst women in our circle of whatever, wherever I was living. And, um, you know, it's like, it was almost like, Everybody knew outwardly that Davy was like, Davy's depressed. Don't talk to Davy. And I, you know, um, you know, you start losing people and you start feeling empty. And I started, you know, self-medicating and drinking, popping pills. You know, I'd play in bands. I'd get kicked out. Um, I'd go to shows. I wouldn't remember. And it, this is like, and it just like this, it, I was that guy that was like, oh, like, look at Davey, man. Like, why is he here? What is he doing? Like, doesn't look, I lost a bunch of weight. I wasn't eating right. Um, and I got a phone call, um, the actual same night that I decided that was it for me. Like I was going to pull the plug and, um, you know, swallow a whole bottle of pills and that's it because you gotta understand, like there's hardships, there's, there's depression but then there's this underlying thing since I've been born that when I was born, I was put into a drawer 
because my family were were gangsters and criminals and drug dealers. And I was put into a drawer and I was found by the police officers in a search of the house. So there's since I've been conscious of myself and could know anything about me, I've known that I was given up. Mm-hmm. And my mother adopted me and gave me a life that I would have never have. And I think my love for her and the love for what she did is separate from the fact that somebody left me for dead. And you carry that through your life. So every time there's like my parents got divorced when I was four, well, there's another person that's leaving me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, my friends, you know, to me, I'm like, oh, I pushed all my friends and family away. But to me, in my, you know, depressed stupor was like, look, everyone left, everyone bailed, everyone's gone. Mm-hmm. So when, when you constantly are waiting for people to bail out of your life, and then there's no one there. The only thing left to do is bail from life. Mm-hmm. And I had a really bad night and I dumped out pills and sat there and cried my eyes out. And I was listening to, uh, was listening to some music and then saw the record ended. And I was like, you know, this is it. I'm done. And my phone started ringing and, you know, I was a guy that was popular and had friends and did a lot of stuff. And I slowly burnt all of those bridges. So that phone didn't ring anymore. Nobody cared. No one, you know, whatever. Um, and, uh, it was one of my best friends growing up from, from high school, from shows, from all that kind of stuff. One of my guys in my circle that went on to the military and, um, he kind of called me and just was like, you know, I had a feeling on my heart that I needed to talk to you, which is, so real that if you have a feeling about somebody in your circle, act on it. That conversation might be awkward, but what's more awkward is going to your friend's funeral. Mm-hmm. So like get over that hump and say something. Cause the worst case scenario is you were wrong and they are fine. And you found out the best case scenario in a way is that they needed your help and you spoke up and you saved their life. And this dude kind of talked me through a lot of stuff and we talked a bunch and he kept up with me week by week. And he eventually challenged me and said, what do you want to do? You got no job. You got, you know, my school closed down at a certain point. Um, and I, I had to become a substitute teacher and try to get gigs wherever, which was so hard to do. Um, you know, I was trying to make it in bands. I was trying to start stuff. And he was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to, tour the world in a band and he was like he can't do that from your bed so it kind of inspired me and kicked me up a notch we made a little plan i went and bought a van with the last bit of money separate money i had i joined a band from the area called always and forever um that was doing really well they're kind of like a metalcore unit and um we just started i just you know teamed up with them and was like listen we need to get out of here started doing weekend tours uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I was literally emailing venues. I had a fake management company, a fake booking agency, and a fake record label that I was sending emails um, to all these you know, places to try to get tours. And eventually it worked. And we started getting shows. We did weekend tours and then week tours down to Florida, then like out to, you know, you know, out to Texas and started going to the West Coast and just leaving as much as we can. Um and I wasn't fully in yet um, because I, I, you know, I was like, oh, I still like money and like I still need things and rent and all this other stuff. And I'd come home from a tour and be broke, and I would sell like my laptop. And I'd come home from a tour and be broke, I'd sell my Xbox. I came home from a tour, and uh, I started. I, I was working a, a part-time job, and I got home from that job, and I found to find my whole entire apartment burnt down to the ground wow. while I was at work. 
So at that moment, I was like, well, that's it. I have nothing. I physically have a white t-shirt, a pair of Levi's, a pair of Vans, a backpack, an iPhone, and a cell phone charger. And that's literally all I had. And uh, I was about to leave on tour anyways. And uh, that's when I just, that's it. That was it for me. And I, there was no going home anymore. There was no home anymore. Um, so I, I did what I had to do and I toured as much as I can. I slept on futons, slept on floors, um, girlfriend's houses, whatever, whatever I had to do to just survive. Because I think a lot of people were confused because on the outside, it looked like I, it looked like I quit my job, sold all my stuff and became a homeless person. But actually what is really going on is that I only time I ever felt alive is when I was on stage and singing and playing music. So I just had to chase that feeling. And so that's kind of started my career of just DIY touring. Um, and eventually I got, we got in, uh, an agent. Eventually we got on a label. We got our, um, you know, our album and t-shirt and hot topic in like regional in our area, which was huge. Cause I hustled, you know, and like, you know, I, I got a job at hot topic and then I found the corporate email of the guy who handles all the local submissions for bands. And I just punished him to death. And I was like, Hey, I wear for our topic, I do this. And we, we just clicked and he started selling our stuff. And, um, you know, that's when everything kind of started. And I started meeting real bands and tour- touring bands and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I had to literally go like all in, like literally all in, have nothing, be nothing except for this. So when you when you started doing this, you were you still dealing with your issues and your problems as yeah. this is going on? That would have been really difficult to not only be doing what you've done to suddenly go, right, I'm just going to do this. I have to because I've got no home, no belongings. But also, what what was that like for you now, grinding away at this music thing, but still trying to process all of your baggage, if you will? It was hard because the first band I toured in, Always and Forever, we became a band called Secret Destroyer. We changed our name and changed formats a little bit, but um, that was right before Vanna. And that was a band full of you know, dudes from my, my scene that were like the cream of the crop, the best of the best players, uh, you know, eventually as we got older and people started quitting or whatever, these guys were like, okay, we're going to tour and we're going to do this. Um, my best friend at the time was in the band, but you know, at that age, um, you know, we grew up in a society where men are told that you don't share your feelings, you know, you don't be a pussy, don't be a, you know, don't be a wuss, whatever, all these things. So you kind of keep this like, facade up of like no i'm good i'm good i'm good and so it's all eternalized and you know i'm on the road and i'm i'm writing nonstop. that was the thing and i think if you talked to me while i was on tour you'd be like this dude's miserable why is he on tour but it was the only thing keeping me alive at a certain point um you know and then came the time where we did that tour with vanna we did their the new hope cd release tour um which was big for us and um it was our step into like you know you know, we had a tour with We Came As Romans coming up and like a bunch of stuff. We're like, okay, we're, we're now a one of five slot band finally, you know, making crap money, but whatever, we're starting to make it. And um, at the end of that, you know, tour, the Vanna guys approached me and their manager was like, hey, Chris is leaving the band um, to go into the military and we want you to join the band. We've seen all your hard work. You know, I would go to every local show from maine to boston 
like an in-between. I, you know, I would drive that two hours to anywhere, anything. I was there, a local show. I was there for every Vanna show. Touring bands come to our area. I made sure I went to everything. So they saw that and I started making friends and it was just like this incompatible thing. And that's the moment. It's that moment where you like, where you like ask for a raise or a promotion or you try out for varsity or you do something. And then they're like, congratulations, you got it. And you were like, you're like, Oh crap. I have to actually do this now. <laughs> like I actually have to like, mm-hmm. and my first, I, I always said yes to Vanna. I did, uh, I jumped on tour with them and did like a tour where, you know, Chris did songs and I came and did two songs and we introduced me and then he, and then he finished the set. My first show with Vanna was sold out at the Palladium, which is where I grew up uh, with like Set Your Goals, Four Years Strong, uh, just all these bands sold out. That was my first show, like walk out on stage and I literally just was like, Hey guys, I'm Davey. And like everyone like cheered and whatever. And I just was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Because this band is cool. Bands like these are cool. They're, they're playing in front of thousands of people. You know, um, they were about to like hit warp tour. We were trying to go international. Like the Australian tour was like on, like on the like horizon. So was Europe. And I'm like me, I'm the guy that you are expecting to bring you international to the next. And it puts so much pressure on me. And I did something really stupid. And I think it's something that we do. A lot of us do. I just literally like put a filter over my life. Like I didn't let you into a certain point. I stepped foot on stage at Vanna. I never stepped foot off that stage. I lived my life like above everyone for fear that everyone would know that I like suffered from depression and anxiety. And I tried to kill myself like three years ago. Um, all these things that I never wanted to be. I wanted to be cool, have cool tattoos, have chicks want me, have dudes want to be me. That's what I wanted. And I stepped in that role in Vanna and I'm telling you, man, I'd get off stage every night. I'd go to our merch table. I'd stand there for like signatures and selfies. That's why I lived my life for like, I lived my life for a picture of me on your phone and my, my name written down on a piece of paper that you'd probably throw out in an hour. That's what I lived for. And I get in the van and we start driving and I would cry myself to sleep every night being wow. like, what? Am I doing wrong? Why am I? Why am I not? Why am I not healing? This is what I want. This is my dream. I just played in front of, you know, we're on this tour. We're on tour with like Chelsea Grin and Till, and I just played in front of like you know six hundred kids in in you know Tennessee. Like, why is this not working for me? Um, and the answer is kind of obvious. I wasn't being myself. I wasn't being the guy um, that I was. So, um, you know, I was hurting a lot. Um, and something had to change um, with the way that I was conducting myself. You know, I was developing, I think, a bad reputation with other people in other bands and like venues. I'd yell at promoters. I'd fight. I'd try to fight security guards. And like, I was just so messed up in my head about what I was supposed to be and what people wanted from me that I was forgetting what I wanted from this and what I needed from this. Um, it became other people's, you know, what I thought other people wanted. You were getting lost, basically. You were getting lost in the I was, shuffle. I was so lost within myself and what I was supposed to be doing. Um, and uh, I think not a lot of people knew that. I think a lot of people just assume this is who I was. Because this is like, oh, this is this new singer, Havana. He sucks. You know what I mean? Like, he's he's a jerk. Some people thought it was funny. Some people didn't think it was funny. Um, I don't know what my band thought because um, I know there's definitely times, you know, 
different members that were in the band at the time. I definitely know that I made some people upset and I don't think anyone ever left the band because of me, but I definitely think that I, my, whatever I was trying to be was not working for anybody. Um, and something needed to change for sure. And that's, it's quite, it's quite honest how you're saying that because anyone that knows Vanna at the end of the cycle that the band was, well, you were known as uh, a polar opposite. You were known as the guy that was very, you know, open, very honest, very welcoming. There was no ego is the way of putting it. Um, Was part of that the journey with the albums? Because it kind of felt like when you guys kept going, you know, I've got the ones, you know, like this was the first one you were recorded on and you got all the way through to All Hell, which is the last album you did. Was that part of it that you started opening up and dealing with your shit through your music? Yep. That is literally 100% is the reason why. And I think, um, I think when I say, you know, I know what I'm known for now. I know what Vanna has become. And I think when I say to people that we, there is nothing with you are Vanna, there is nothing without any of you guys. You are the reason why you're here. And when I tell people you're the reason why I'm alive, I don't think that people truly understand. Cause I don't, I talk about it. I talk in my, my talk, my speech is at schools, but I don't really get in depth like this with everybody about it. I was destined to just be a miserable human being. And I wrote the first record, which is a concept record. Um, it's a story. Um, it's a story of a, I mean, it's about me, but it's a concept record. I wrote a story of a, of a, um, a boy who, uh, was like basically a warrior and went through life thinking he can do whatever he wants and he dies and in death he realizes um you know the importance of life and living his life um and now that he's gone um let his lesson be learned to everybody else that living is what's important um you know not not what you're dying for but what you're living for which was funny because i wrote that and it was like me talking to me being like stop doing this stop doing what you're doing and live your life and experience things and then that record came out and there was a couple tracks off there where i don't know if anyone knows a concept record or not but whatever it felt like to them i got this small amount of kids that started like coming to the merch table and talking about like things then you know we did that record cycle and that was 2000 and like 10 to almost 12 then we recorded uh, The Few and the Far Between, which is where I started talking about myself, which is where I started talking about – I took those notebooks that I had stacked up from like high school and stuff and just – you know, I still have notebooks. I write notebooks. I have notebooks. If I turn around, there's bookshelves right here full of notebooks since I was like 16 years old. Um, those survived a fire because they're at my mom's house, which luckily those are still alive. Um I started writing about myself more and that selfie and signature line stopped. Like it's, it, it was still there, but it, it got less and less. It went less from like all the, the cool dudes at shows with tattoos and all the pretty girls with nice hair to this new group of those kids at high schools that walk around with their hoods up and their headphones. And you know who I'm talking about, you know what I mean? Like, unfor- like, you, when you walk the halls of your school or you walk around your work, they're the one that's like distant and far away and weird and whatever and all stuff. And on Friday and Saturday nights, the only time they feel alive is when they come to a show and they would come to shows and they started like coming up to me, talking to me. The first one was the song I wrote about my parents' divorce and my dad um, at a young age, like stifling my 
my dreams, not him per se, but me being so upset about the divorce and not being able to move on from it. And like a couple that clicked with a bunch of kids. And then I, 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 I wrote a song, um, uh, I'm trying to think of what else is on there. I wrote a song um, called Please Stay, mm-hmm. which was basically about how Please Stay is about how I need, you know, I met, I met my my now wife at the time. And I was the first person in my life who hasn't bailed mm-hmm. out of my life. Even if I pushed her away, which I did at first, and she didn't bail and she stuck by me. and So I had a bit of consistency. And the other consistency were the kids in clubs. So that song is about the, like, you know, dichotomy between the two things of, you know, I love... I love touring and miss home so much. And when I'm home, I love being home so much and miss touring. I started just really just talking about how I felt. And that's when stuff started changing and resonating, you know, and then you move forward to, you know, record cycles like void, um, where void is a complete emotional dump of the last uh, 27 years of my life. Um, And it's everything. I let it go. Uh, I had to fly my wife out to the recording because I was, physically a wreck not only that but at the time me and my wife were going through immigration because she's from canada so i'm like doing this emotional dump on this record my 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 me and my wife are dealing with this immigration stuff I mean, my whole life is just whatever and i'm getting told by you know uh some people that you know vanna's done you're done you know there's no you know this is over you know no one cares our last uh, few and far betweens a little bit of our like cycle got messed up or something somehow and and then we got people saying this is going to be your biggest record of all time and all this other stuff i got all this stuff going on and they just made a conscious decision and i told the band i don't care what's happening i don't care what's going on in our career or our world or anything else like that this record i need to write i'm gonna emotionally dump everything and it was the first time i ever had a conversation with my guys of like i tried to kill myself in 2006 um the first time I ever told anybody other than my wife. And that led to, you know, I had, I had, I had the song digging wrote written for, mm. I mean, I had, I had that chorus of that song written since 2005. Wow. Um, and I wrote it in my bed. Um, and I wrote most of it in my bed. None of the hopeful parts were in it. Um, um, and the course was a little bit different. It was home is a coffin, your city is a grave. I'm digging myself, digging myself into place. Um, and it took all those kids going to shows, talking to me and sharing their life with me for me to be like, dummy, do you remember why you started listening to punk rock? Do you remember how it got you through high school? Do you remember how music is always there for you? Put everything into that. Forget about everything else. Just put music, put everything into your music. Be honest with these kids. Talk about your emotions. Be real. Um, I had a few people challenge me with a few things at the time. I met some really, really like, you know when you meet like these like pinnacle, like pillar people in your life? I met a lot of them in 2014 when Void came out. And that record cycle and that record changed my whole entire life. Um, it is the reason why I'm here today. It's the reason why I am the person I am today. It's the reason why I talk in schools. It's the reason why I care about mental health. It's the reason why I am known for the things I'm known for because, and I'm proud of that because I was ashamed of those things for legitimately like 27 years. I didn't want anyone to know those things. And then to just flip it all and dump it all out. And then just every single night, 
you know, you, you know, you know, Vanna's career, you know, every single night by the end of the night, most of us are in tears by the end of the night. And that's just literally the band that we are. It's what we do. And I'm okay with that. And every night, little by little, I'd feel a little bit better. I'd feel a little bit better. I would share a story I'd never talked about before, or I would, I would get in the crowd and there'd be some nights where I'd get in the crowd to do digging, which is a song that I, 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 I don't think I've ever played it on stage fully in my entire life. Um, there would be some nights where there's just a, a kid bawling. They're trying to sing so hard. They're just bawling. And you just give the microphone to the crowd and I'll just be with that kid the entire time. And I'm crying and he's crying. And I've come to find out, you know, I find out a story. And then like, you know, as the years go on, like, you know, Van was a band for 13 years. I was in that band for almost 10 of those years. You can understand the kids that I saw in the beginning that were, that were just wrecked by life, that almost dropped out of high school, that tried to commit suicide, that were cutters, that were everything. You understand that at the end, the last Vanna tour, these people brought out their like husbands and wives and children and showed me pictures of their homes and like their life is like okay. And it's not because I did something. It's because a bunch of guys and girls take the time to get into a vehicle and pour their entire lives out in front of other people and share what they have because they have to for them. And it works for us and it works for you. It's such a beautiful symbiotic thing that we can be a part of together. And that's literally, I don't, and I, I, you know, I had friends calling me corny, people calling me lame and all this other stuff for being emotional, for saying that we're a family. And I'm going to say it every time. I don't care if you're not that kind of band. I don't care if you think that, you know, like shut up and play. You didn't get hired here to stand on stage and talk and spill your guts. Like, I don't care about that. I don't care if people subtweet me and make fun of, I don't, I, none of that matters because when I get into that crowd and that kid's, crying and that kid's life seven years later is turned around that's what i care about i don't care about you i don't care about your jokes about us i don't care about the fact that you think it's lame it became something very real to me and was the only reason uh, i was able to like have a career and have a life and feel good about myself i met my wife at a show you know what i mean like everything i do is surrounded by music and you can you can say that on the plus or minus side but for me it's always been a plus and um, you know, kids, kids in mosh pits changed my life, like legitimately changed my life and they gave me a life and, uh, I am forever indebted to them and forever and grateful for it. And that's why, you know, as the years go on and bands change and stop and start and all this stuff is like, I'm just doing the same thing I've always done. Um, I don't know how to do anything else. I don't want to do anything else. Um, I'm just going to keep on playing music and now I get to speak and talk to kids, which is really, really cool. It's like, uh, you know, it's like, uh, not, I'm not annoying my band with all the stage banter. I actually just get hired to come and just, just do this too. So, um, you know, it, it's been a journey. Um, and I would, uh, you know, I'd be nothing without these kids. And I, I still, to this day would be nothing without these kids or adults or whatever. I if you go to my shows, I call you kids. Um, I'm a kid myself, so whatever. You can be a 40-year-old kid. It's all good. Um, but yeah, it's been a journey. And um, the journey's not over, which is really cool. No, and I think I think that's the thing. People, you know, if people say it's corny, I, I think that's fucking rude because I think the reason, this is my opinion, is I think the reason kids 
um, how old they are or not, whatever their background, the reason they connect with it is because they can feel the genuine passion and heart and emotion that's in what you do, no matter what you do, no matter if it's um, Vanna, Trove, the new song you just recently released, you know, they they know that it's real, it's authentic. Yeah. Um, now, you, just the last thing about Vanna is all of this is going on and your life's starting to go on the upward trajectory and then you guys release... I love Void, but I also love the last album you guys did. Oh, me too. Me too. It's, it's my favourite. It's, it's like amazing. Now, you guys, <laughs> you guys release that and then suddenly, you know, you pulled the plug. Um, yeah. You know, there's obviously reasons behind it. Some people know them, but what were the reasons? And then were you nervous about ending something that had this much sudden extra meaning behind it because it had given you so much more yeah. in your life? Um, yeah, you know, for us, it's like, I looked at this before I even joined Vanna, um, you know, Vanna survived a generational gap of music, you know, mm. Vanna was playing shows when, you know, all that big wave of early 2000s metalcore was happening. Um, Vanna was touring, they were out there in the streets and they were touring. And then I joined in 2009. And again, we survived another generational wave. I watched every band that we toured with come and go. I think when that happened and right when we void came out and then all hell, we were never threatened by, I, we have never been threatened by like, Hey, this band's bigger than you. So you actually have to support them. Like, yeah, whatever. Let's just hit the road, dude. It's all good. We don't care. Um, we just took out young bands all the time. Um, you know, uh, we do a Christmas run every single year and a band called State Champs was on it every mm. single year. And now that band is absolutely destroying it and killing it. And one of them, you know, I'm so proud of them and they're amazing. And, uh, you know, Vanna could never headline over that band uh, ever again. But we invested in younger bands because we love them and they thought we thought they were awesome. And like, you know, new music was starting to pop off. And I think what happened was we grew with those younger bands. So like as bands, you know, that listen to Vanna growing up, like uh, for, I'm going to see like Knock Loose and Siler and Beartooth tonight. So for instance, a band like Knock Loose who literally have told us they listen to Vanna growing up. Well, as they start getting big, they're representing, they, they rep Vanna. So people are like, well, it's Vanna. And then we put out a new record and they're like, oh my God, it's amazing. So we had kids, we had, we had kids coming up to us on, you know, the last like two or three years of touring being like, yo, you're my favorite band. I just discovered you, you know, yada, yada, yada. So when we knew it came, was going to come time, like we left and we always kind of joked about like, you know, going out, like going out in your prime, you know what I mean? Like going out mm -hmm. this like, you know, not doing that, like, oh, this band shot. Why are they still on the road? You know, um, I've made those jokes and I don't want those jokes to be made about me. Um, and the event, it, everything was just going so well. And, the, you know, we're getting all these tours. And um, when it came down to, um, you know, leaving this behind, you know, basically the reasons were everything in our lives couldn't sit on a shelf anymore careers, families, um, people got married, people had kids, people bought houses. There's just a certain natural progression that like all of our wives dealt with for so long that it's just like, it's time to do this, that, and the other thing. Um, Nick, my guitar player, um, ended up landing a tattoo apprenticeship, which is something he's been 
dreaming about since he was, you know, a kid and went to art school and all this other stuff. And he landed an apprenticeship. Um, I was speaking a ton. Casey's other band was, you know, you know, I mean, uh, sorry, Casey and Seamus were in a band together and they were touring a ton. Seamus is playing drums for like literally everybody ever. Sean just bought a house with his, with his, um, with his wife and uh, Joel started winding things down and Joel now has, you know, a, a wife and a baby. Um, and think everything was just starting to like come to like a, so that Vanna became stressful. Every time a tour came up, it's like, Hey guys. So we got asked to do this amazing tour and we're getting paid great money and it's going all over the U S or Europe or Japan or whatever. And it's like, we got to a point where it's like, we can't, we can't do it. It was like, almost like, uh, a little too late for us, you know. If this happened four years ago, uh, and and the records were maybe, you know, what's happening now? Because uh, all hell blew up on Warp Tour. Um, Void did really well, and it set us up for all how all hell blew up on Warp Tour. Everything was fun. Everything was great. It was amazing. We don't ever want Vanna to be negative. We don't ever want it to be a negative thing for us or for anybody else. And there was just a lot of stress and a lot of. Um, you know, negativity and we're, we're brothers, you know what I mean? And, and we talk about stuff. So we sat down at a rehearsal, we went through the set one time and I sat there and I was like, I knew it was coming and I could feel it. You just can feel something like that in the air and being the, like, you know, the, the person who tries to lead in the band the most, I just kind of was like, do we have to stop doing this? And everyone unanimously was like, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. And it was a really, it, it was a, it was a hard thing to hear out loud, but then looking at Nick's face when he told us, well, here's why for me, I got apprenticeship tattooing and I'm like, oh my God, I would quit. We would stop just for that. Um, and watching everyone say, here's why I need to stop. And then having them also look at me saying, Davey, here's why you need to stop. And realizing that yeah we need to kind of put a pause on this right now because life has been on the shelf we're in our 30s we've been doing this since we were in our teens mm -hmm. this is something that like needs a little bit of time to breathe and to chill um and i will say twofold it felt freeing and it felt great to know that okay like because when you when you do something for 13 years you're in the spot where you're like, I don't know when the what's next is going to come. Like, what's next? Do I just do this forever? You know, like the venues are getting bigger. Sure. You know, the money's getting a little bit better. Sure. What's, what's next? What, what, you know, what, what can we do? And it was hard to like, we all own businesses that are like outside of the band. And it was hard to make those things grow. And then on the other side of that, it's wow. This is, this day has come. This day has finally come. And, um, I, uh, we decided to call it and, you know, started working on plans. Um, we did a uh, headliner tour, um, the all hell tour in the United States. And we got back and we, it, we had the best numbers we've ever had headlining. We all made the most amount of money. We had the most fun. All of our like friends from like years back, like came out. Their kids were like a little bit older now. Like everyone, I mean, it was like one of the most amazing tours I've ever done. Bands are great. And we all got back from that tour and that's when it happened and we decided. So we had, we had another year of touring still on the, on the docket. Um, so we had to move some things around, but um, it was right before like Thanksgiving 
when I think we kind of came through with the, like the, this is what's going to happen. And we talked to our manager about it and they obviously were on the same page. We told our label and then we did a Christmas break. Um, and we were just like, go home, talk to your family is figure. I mean, we, we toured from September to December straight that entire year. And we were like, go home, figure some other families and kind of prep for what's next. And I know that I don't, I, I can't really, uh, speak for the other guys but i know for me um i had a really hard winter um it was hard to to know that you know and it wasn't even the fact that like who am i now i don't have vanna that wasn't it i think that you know we'd all started moving on to other things of what we're doing my biggest fear was telling everybody mm. the biggest fear i had was making that announcement and telling anybody and still to this day um if you go to the vanna instagram post of us saying that we're breaking up and announcing the tour. Um, the comments on that are, I, it's, I can't get through them. Um, I, I don't think I've ever read them all. Um, I, I can't get through them. They're so, they're so joyous and painful and happy and sad at the same time. And, um, it was, it was, I just knew it was going to be a hard thing. I, uh, I was speaking at a school. We announced in February and I was speaking at a school and, um, I was doing a Q and a, an unexpected Q and a, and I had the scheduled post go up. So it went up and it went up from my Instagram and I didn't, it wasn't paying attention or anything. I was talking and whatever. And I got to my car and I literally couldn't leave the high school parking lot for almost two hours. I was crying so hard. Um, I pulled out of the parking lot and around the corner cause then school dismissed and kids started coming out. I left at noon. The post went up at, I left at like 1230. The post went up at noon and I was there for two hours bawling my eyes out. And I was like, I have to get to the airport. I can't be here. I got to the airport. I got asked like several times that, like by TSA and security if I was okay. Cause I looked like very upset. And, um, it was a big thing for me. Um, and I, and I know it was a big thing for all the guys. Um, and it wasn't, again, it wasn't the like, I have nothing in my life. In fact, I have more in my life now than I've ever had. It was the fact of, I, I feel like I'm letting people down. I feel like I'm making people sad. We have to do this. We don't have a choice. This is literally what we've chosen to do and what we need to do. But man, this is like, I feel like I'm hurting people personally. Um and, uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, a mixed bag of emotions and people were angry and sad. And then some people were like, yo, you did it though. You know, you mm -hmm. did everything, you know, and we did. Um, so it was a very, it was a hard thing to do. It was a tough process to get through. I had a very tough winter. And then that farewell tour, I, I don't think uh, if you could run out of tears in your body, I would have, um, the, I, you know, VIP crying the whole time, walking around the show, sitting at the bar, talking to people and friends, crying the whole time, getting on stage, crying the whole time, getting off stage. I mean, we got the shows, you know, security every night was like, okay, everybody, it's time to leave. Like it was just, you know, it was the most, what I realized at that tour was the best thing I ever could have realized is that our band may have not been the biggest band in the world, but damn it, we were important to some people. Mm -hmm. And that's all that matters. All that matters is those nights that we got you through, um, you know, or those road trips that we enhanced or, you know, I always tell kids, you know, I, I hear daily still every day of my life, I get messages 
um, on every social media platform. And please don't stop sending them if you're listening to this because I love them. I read them, every single one of them. But every day I get, Vanna saved my life, you saved my life. And we didn't save anybody's lives. We just created a soundtrack for you to save your own life. And, um, you know, it was an overwhelming year last year and then leading up to the final show, which was, I'm going to say this, uh, and I'm, this is a, this is a, this is a weird flex, but I think we had the most dynamic and best show I've ever seen at the Palladium ever. Um, and that's because every band that we wanted to put on that show, every band said yes. Bands drove from other countries, bands drove hours to be there, and we had literally like the cream of the crop, coolest, best bands and all of our friends under one roof for one night. And like it was just it was just amazing to be a part of it. And then also amazing to realize, oh wait, not only am I part of this, like this is for us. Mm -hmm. This is for our band. And um I will never Every Vanna show at home, I've pretty much like blacked out, not because of like anything, just because it's been so overwhelming, exciting and great. I remember every second of that last show. I would something I will, I will never forget any moments of that last show. Um, and, uh, you know, it was the perfect way to cap off the last over a decade of, of, uh, of Vanna for sure. It's, uh, it was just from what everyone saw that wasn't there, it looked amazing. And I think, I think one of the best things is that you guys did go out on top and you left a legacy and it shows if you're still getting in contact today, it shows and it's amazing. Yeah. Um, now going to kind of wrap things up, but I just want to also touch on love, love the solo stuff you've been doing. Yeah. You, you recently, like it? Yeah. I like it. It's different. I like cool, it. It's man. different. Yeah. It's so different. I think very I different. Think, I don't know what people expected. Mm. Um, I but mean, I wanted to do something different. Not only that, but then Trove as well. I'm a big fan, yeah. big fan of that Hark EP. Um, it's awesome, man. I think that's really – I like it because it still sounds like you, but then it's got a real – I don't know. It's like a Maylene and the Sons of Disaster feel to it. It's real southern. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's real riffy and stuff. Is it going to be more Trove is a question. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So we are currently writing. Mm -hmm. um, we signed with the label, and we're currently writing, and we're going to be putting out a record in two thousand and nineteen, early two thousand nineteen. The right. the whole solo stuff has always been there for me, and I've always wanted to do it. And it, you know, Trove right now is is everyone is like my guitar player Jack is like um, like a videographer, YouTuber, like extraordinaire, and he he gets hired by like resorts and companies to like make you know content and stuff so he's running around the world doing that my bass player kevin uh runs a studio um back home and my drummer jake also works in that studio they just open up a new location and then tron my guitar player plays in another band and he also runs bars up in seattle so everyone's like running around doing all this stuff but everyone right now we're writing but there's nothing for me to like hmm. do like have an outlet for we're not going to start touring again until next year and I've been going through like a, um, a lot of stuff recently, um, you know, with uh, family uh, and, you know, um, just life in general um, and things that are kind of been, you know, the world's been testing your boy and mm. uh, I needed an outlet for that. And, you know, I've been working with my uh, couple of my dudes 
on some solo stuff and this song came across the deck and it just like hit me in a perfect way. I was driving and I pulled over and I just, I wrote the song and I wrote that song in five minutes. It was done. Um, and it already been kind of written in my head and we recorded it. And I was like, you know, in part of doing this solo tour, you know, I just want to constantly play music. So like when I'm not speaking, I want to tour. And if Trove can't tour and Van is not going to be a band right now, well then I'm going to go do it. Mm. And, uh, you know, um, I'm going to be doing the solo tour and solo career stuff. I'm also going to be doing Trove. And then, you know, one day, who knows, maybe uh, they'll see, there'll be some, some new breath uh, breathed back in the van and we'll, we'll, we'll do something else. But I think people get too wrapped up in sometimes of like, well, you're from this band, so mm-hmm. you do this. <laughs> well, Trove is one thing. And if you get, I think, I think another thing people say about Trove is like, you just, it's you you just sound happy. And I'm like, yeah, cause I am, I'm pumped. And like Trove is my, like Trove is like my, like, like, like my, like warrior, like battle axe. Like that thing is like, like that's my confidence. Like Trove is like, like a, just a nonstop like punch. And we're going to keep going with that. Um, and then solo stuff will just be kind of whatever I am and whatever I feel. And the vibe of this song will be sort of the vibe of what I'm trying to do, but not even that. Like I'm talking to a couple of my friends who are, they're in the like R and B like rap trap world that like are going to do some features. And um, I'm also talking to like a couple dudes that are like shredder guitar players that are going to do like a feature. Um, I want to just work with people I love and the sons of zero, which is the band that we are, are doing. Um, I just want it to be awesome. There's no reason I can't be like, you know, like look at a man. Like I look up to people like Anthony green, Anthony green. He does his solo stuff he does Circa, he does Seosin, he does uh, Sounds of Animals Fighting, I think is one of mm-hmm. his things. Yeah, he does so so many things, and it's always Anthony, but it's always a part of his, you know, being in different entities, and that's what I, that's all it is. It's just, it's just different parts of me. Um, I'm always going to play music, even if you don't listen, please listen, but like, even if you don't, I'm still going to play it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so like Trove is coming out, really heavy in in 19 uh solo stuff's gonna be all spread out throughout that i'll have a i'll have a should have a an ep january 1st ish uh with that so maybe release some christmas stuff too um also if not anything else and no one else cares and no one else listens uh my solo stuff is uh for my mom so she can hear me not Uh, scream and just sing and try to be beautiful and uh you know, it's it's for it's for all my relatives that don't want to listen to me scream anymore. So I loved um, it. The solo stuff gave me. I didn't know what I was going to expect. I went in just kind of like I don't know, just have a listen. Gave me. I get rare. I get the hair stand up like the goosebump feeling, and then I got yeah. the lump in the throat feeling, and I went, yeah, this. I can listen to this. God, um, it's so awesome to hear. That's so good to hear. It's exciting because I, I'm one of those people, I think, like yourself, where I love my aggressive stuff, but I do occasionally want to listen to something that's not aggressive because I'm not right. always in that headspace. And this made me go to a different headspace, and I fucking loved it. And give that's us awesome. more. Give us more. Um, oh, it's coming. Give it's us coming. more. The, the response from this has been, I spent... You know, I'm, I'm a person who always like, you know, I'd be, I, I, I battle and deal with a lot of things. And one of those is self-doubt. And, you know, the day before I literally sat right here where I am right now, staring at my computer with like the link, everything live, ready to go. And it was like 1159. It was like, 
12 o'clock on the dot. I wasn't announcing this announcement. You're just going to click it. And I'm like, just looking at it. And they're like, I'm like, it's getting plays already. I was like, I haven't even announced it. People are like, <laughs> people are like, excuse me, what is this? Or people that follow me on anything, it would just pop up. Like, just like when it went up. And then I spent that entire day. If you followed my story at all on Instagram, yeah, it was a million dots. It was a like million this yeah. big because <laughs> I just, and I, and I know people, my friends are like, bro. And I was like, I know, but like, I never thought that this many people would care. I never thought this many people would like this. I just needed to do this for me. And that was the thing is everyone was just surprised and pleasantly surprised in like a good way, which I love that. Like my friends were like, don't take this the wrong way, dude. I love this. And this is like, not what I expected from you at all. And I actually think it's all my, my like, like close friends are like, this is my favorite thing you've ever done. Um, which is just huge to hear that because I've done some stuff that my friends have been into and I love. And, um, it's just really nice to hear that. So, um, don't stop sending me messages and bothering me about the new song because I love it. Actually, keep bothering me so I can keep bother motivated. my band so we can get another song out to you guys. Uh, <laughs> that's like the biggest thing I want to do is I just want to release songs. So I will have, before the year is over, I will absolutely have two more songs out. Fuck yeah. Now, Davey, before we wrap things up, I have what I do with everyone and it's called Pick Your Poison. Now, it's my kind of ritual segment. Now what I do okay. what I do here is we just want to know a little bit more about what makes you tick. So I give you two options. Ah. I give you two options and you can only pick one. All right? The other one yeah, yeah, is gone. So okay. we start pizza or burger. Pizza. Okay. Chicken or beef? Uh I guess I guess chicken. Yeah, I guess chicken. Okay. I'm kind of vegetarian, so. Okay. Well, Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Chinese. I can't handle Indian. I wish I could, but my stomach can't do it. Okay. Would you prefer to cook at home or dine out? Cook at home. Okay. Would you prefer to go to the cinema or sit on the couch at home? I love going to the movies. Okay. Beach or snow? Beach. Always. <laughs> now, um... Skateboarding or rollerblading? I already know your answer to this one. Ooh, skateboarding, <laughs> <Yeah>. baby. <laughs> uh, cat or dog? Oh, dog. Just don't tell my cat, okay? Okay. Batman <laughs> or Superman? Batman. Okay. Wolverine or Deadpool? Wolverine, number one. Okay. Terminator or Predator? Predator. James Bond or Jason Bourne? Oh my god, those are like two of my favorite franchises. <laughs> All right, James Bond, James Bond, but Jason Bourne's sick. Yeah, see, I think the only difference between them is James Bond gets the girls. Jason Bourne doesn't care about the girls, really. He didn't get, yeah, he didn't, he didn't get anybody. His yeah. girls get killed, actually. Yeah, pretty much. Um, South Park or Simpsons? Ooh, uh, I'm going to say Simpsons. I just went to Simpsons land, so Simpsons. Okay, Freddy or Jason? Uh, neither. I'm terrified of horror movies. Oh, you're the first. I'm the same. You're the first person I've met. I, I'm. Don't I, do it. No. I, you know what's funny is I know who Freddy Krueger is, obviously, and I know mm-hmm. who Jason Voorhees is, but I have not watched those movies. I've like I've like watched pieces and been like, nope, I don't care. I can't. My wife, if she wants private time, I go to the living room and she watches a horror movie. I can't be anywhere near. Yeah, it. same. I can't. Same. Can't do it. Can't do nope. it. 
it's my PlayStation time when she watches a horror movie. So there you go, there you go. <laughs> uh, a couple of music ones: Slayer or Pantera. Pantera. Okay. Terror or Madball. <sighs> it's a hard one. I know. Um, mm, all right, I'm gonna say it. Nobody beat me up, Madball. Nobody beat me up, <laughs> Madball. Uh, Metallica or Megadeth. Oh, I, Metallica, but I, I just, I want to send a special shout out to Dave Mustaine. We love you. We still love you. It's okay. You're not in the band. Mm. Megadeth, you're, you're, you do well, but Metallica. <laughs> um, okay. Three left. Would you prefer to be in the mosh pit or up the back watching the show? Always in the mosh pit. Okay. Would you prefer to tour or record? Oh. Uh, ah, tour, tour, tour. Yeah. Okay, now the last one is the only triple one. It's CD, vinyl, or downloading? Vinyl. Ooh, all day. nice. Old school. Love yeah, it. Vinyl. I just love the way the vinyl sounds. And like, there's a, definitely a difference putting on vinyl. Like mm-hmm. on Saturday and Sunday mornings, we wake up, we put on vinyls, we have coffee, we play magic cards. There's something different about putting on a vinyl than there is of just like being like, hey, Alexa, play whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it's a different vibe altogether. Uh, Davey, dude, that, fuck, that exceeded and went beyond all my expectations and (laughs) thank you. I had fun, dude. I could, I could talk. I could really talk. And I knew you could anyway, but I love that, you know, you are honest, um, and you do have an interesting story and that I loved just being able to listen to you and also have it on the show. Uh, thank you so much, dude, again, um, much respect, much appreciated, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate you a lot. Thanks for having me.
So that was my chat with Davey Ivana and Trove. And at the end there, you also heard the song Scram, which is by Trove off their debut EP, Hark. Davey, thank you so, so, so much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Now, if you haven't discovered Trove, if you haven't discovered Vanna, if you haven't discovered Davey's own solo music, make sure you get on that internet. Make sure you get down to your local CD store. Make sure you support an amazing artist and a very talented, very passionate artist as well. Thank you so much again, Dave, for taking time out for the show. Much appreciated, much respect, much love. Thank you so much, dude. So that's it for the Mosh Zone episode 46, done, dusted, in the can, all wrapped up, done for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the new format and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, Don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. That is it for this week's show. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.